Yesterday I was talking to a guy and I was so overwhelmed with my burden for men, I just started to weep in the car. This guy's a chaplain for Promise Keepers and he'd been with them for a long time and they're redoing something and he was just talking to me about the men and the state of men in our country. And it burdens me. It burdens me for a lot of reasons because I see a lot of guys who go to church every Sunday and then they walk and then they live lives independent of God's leadership. They live lives that they really don't have an abiding. And really this passage today in Matthew 13 is what that deals with. It deals with the, what I call the untransformed heart. We talked about this in here. This is not new material today, talking about the parable of the soils. We've dealt with it. But again, you've got to remember, Matthew is unfolding a story here to people that he's writing to to try to help them understand that Jesus is Messiah. In the first ten chapters, he unfolds that in a lot of different ways that we've covered. But, you know, from the genealogical evidence to the the supernatural evidence to the theological evidence, it's all laid out there, chapters 1 through 10, the miracles, all those things. And then in chapter 11 and 12, he shows the responses. But now in chapter 13, it marks a transition. And in this transition, what happens is Jesus starts addressing the crowd, but he's kind of pulled away from the Jewish people in the sense of he's given them all the evidence, he's given them the teaching, and they've rejected it. And we kind of saw the climax of that when they attributed his works to Satan last week. And so Jesus, over somewhere on the Sea of Galilee, gives this teaching. But I want to remind you of what happened last week and the week before. We looked at these two worlds, and we looked at the really the Pharisees, even though they portrayed themselves as being in the one world of the spiritual. They really lived in the world of the physical. They cared more about the praise of man, according to John, than the praise of God. That's what they lived. That's what motivated them. They were motivated by greed and money. So those are things of the world that tended to move them. They weren't motivated by being led by the Spirit of God because if that was true, when God Himself appeared to them in the form of a man, fulfilling all the prophecies that they all knew, they would have responded, and they didn't. So they really, even though they portrayed they were in one world, they really were driven by the material world, the physical world. And so Jesus in this chapter deals with that. And remember, He said, the Ninevites are going to condemn you And last week. The Queen of Sheba is going to condemn you. These two pagan you know, people are going to condemn you because they saw value in the wisdom of God, in the preaching of God, but you have not. And that was, that was what he said. And he talks about the, you know, the spirits leaving and being focused on the external toward the end of it. And then he talks about family at the end of chapter 12. And, and people you know, go up to him and say, hey, your family's outside. They want you. And he goes... This is my family, those who do the will of the Father. He talks about being in relationship as being the key. And so today in this passage, it's really the series of where he begins parables. Now he'd shared a couple of analogies before, but he really is going to get into parables. And the purpose of a parable, it means the word means to cast alongside or to tell a story or a comparison 
that would help bring light to a truth. But there were two reasons for the parables. One, it was to conceal truth from those that reject, but to reveal truth to those who believe. And the reason it is merciful, and I never really understood this growing up, but the reason it was merciful to conceal truth from those that reject is there's greater condemnation in someone's life if you keep bringing in them truth and they get more and more truth and they keep rejecting. Do you understand that? So it's actually an act of mercy not to reveal truth to people who are rejecting, who continue to reject, who are always going to reject. And you go, well, how do you know who's going to always going to reject? We don't, but He does. He's God. For us, we can't look at somebody. We can share Christ with somebody until we die. And then we're buried, and at our memorial service, they may come to Christ. So we don't know. But the parables are there for us to look at and also for us to glean as believers, what does this truth mean for us? And I think even in the case of this parable today of the soils, it's called the parable of sower by Jesus, but it's really the parable of the different types of soil. And it really describes responses to the gospel or responses to the Word of God, which is the gospel. And as we look at it, it's, it's paralleled in Mark 4, 1-20. through 20. We talked about that back when we, we were dealing with... Remember when the guys came up and said, Jesus, I want to follow you? And He said, the birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Well, I want to follow you, but I want to go bury my dad first. And He says, let the dead bury the dead. Remember, we, we, we covered that back in the fall of last year. And I use Mark 4 to illustrate what Jesus was trying to illustrate. Well, this is Matthew's presentation of this. And remember, he's writing to Jewish people from a Jewish perspective. And so he focused on that 19 times the word here is mentioned. 19 times in chapter 13. And remember, for the Hebrew, the word here doesn't just mean to hear. It means really to listen. It means to hear that produces an action. What he lays out here is there's people who've heard who take the wrong action or they don't take, you know, they don't take any action at all. And so really there's two types of hearers in this passage today. There's a worldly hearer and there's a supernatural hearer. There's a worldly hearer and a supernatural hearer. How can you be a supernatural hearer? You can't unless God opens your ears to hear. It's impossible. And, and again, this is that concept that I did not have growing up. I was always taught, well... Jesus is a life preserver. I'm drowning in a sea of sin and i got to grab Him. It's all up to me. If I don't grab Him, then I'm going to go to hell. And that's a terrible analogy because the better analogy is we're dead on the bottom of the ocean floor and He breathes life into us. Like He resuscitates us and we start coughing. Then we reach up and we grab Him and hold on to Him. That's the better analogy. Because without Him, Paul says that you were dead in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses. A dead person can do absolutely zero, nothing. And Paul says we were dead. And so the worldly here, they hear it, but they're still in their dead state. And they even grab on, and it's an external thing, and that's what we're going to look at in this passage today. But I want you to notice as we go through two types of hearers. There's the worldly here. 
there's a supernatural here. I want you to notice there's, there's really three main parts. There's a sower who's Jesus or Jesus in us. And then there's the seed, which is the gospel. It's the word of the kingdom, it says in verse 19. That's the gospel. And, and very little is really devoted to the seed or the sower. doesn't say what kind of sower it is doesn't say if they're a good sower, bad sower, gifted sower, rich sower, poor sower. No descriptives, just the sower. And the seed is the Word of God. And then, so the focus is really on these responses. And I think it's instructive for us, even as believers, our hearts can represent the different types of soils that we see here. Even as believers, and our response to God's Word. So, Don't just think, well, I'm a believer, so this doesn't apply to me, because it can still have applications to us as believers. So, But the primary application is for the unbeliever. But as we look at this passage, we're going to start in chapter uh, 13, verse 1, and we're going to read down through 23. That same day, what same day? Well, the same day he just got through telling everybody that these are my brothers and my sisters. You know, uh, Nineveh and the Queen of Sheba are going to condemn you. That same day is what Matthew says. Jesus went out of the house and He sat beside the lake. That was very typical for a rabbi to sit down and then people would gather around. And great crowds gathered about Him. So you're going, wow, this is a revival. There's great crowds coming around Jesus. So that He got into a boat and He sat down. Now while the whole crowd stood on the beach... He told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Now other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and it choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and they said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know. Now I want you to take note of what he just said. He didn't say you grasp this, you know. He said to you it has been given. In other words, God has revealed it. It's not about our perceiving it. It's about God revealing it. And so it says to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. So who's sovereign over that? The God of all creation. So everyone in this room ought to be grateful to the God of creation for even wanting to be here today to hear what God would have to say through His Word. We should be grateful every day because God has given us to know the secrets of the kingdom. For to, one who, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, 
The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but you will never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Do you guys realize that what you've seen and what you've heard in the Word of God, Moses longed to know? He did not know that on his time on earth. He longed to know it. Isaiah, Daniel, all these great men of God longed to know what we know. It was a mystery to them. And we, by the gift of God's Word to us, over time being preserved, and the Spirit revealing it to us, have a, an ability to know something that these incredible men of God did not know. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the Word of the kingdom and they <coughs> does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. May God bless the reading of His word. As we look at this, guys, there are two types of hearers. There's four soils He talks about, but there's two categories here. You've got the worldly hearer, and then you've got the supernatural hearer. And three soils are represented in the worldly here. This is the hard-hearted person. This is the superficial here. This is the divided or preoccupied here. Three types. The hard-hearted, the, the superficial, and the preoccupied. And what's interesting is, you have what's represented in these here's. You have the Pharisees represented by the hard-hearted. And then you have the crowd represented by the preoccupied or the superficial. And then you have the disciples that are represented by the supernatural. And, and, and so not only is it telling what's going to happen, it's kind of revealing what's happening right before their eyes. And this hard-hearted person, he says in verse 4, that it's the hard path. In, the, in Israel, when, when people would walk, you know, like anywhere, here you walk, continuously you beat a hard path and the ground becomes very hard if seed goes out on that ground what happens it's not going to take root for seed to take root it's got to go below the soil right it's got to go underneath and so these people are hard-hearted and Jesus says what that represents is that is a person who refuses to believe that's a person who has the gospel they hear but they don't care now that's, that's a very sad thing to me. Because 
the enemy comes along while the gospel, they hear it, but they just don't care about what they hear. It makes it, and have, have you had people in your life like that? People that you know have heard the gospel, and they just don't care. I had a guy talking to me about that uh, the other day. He was talking about somebody, and he said, man, I just get so frustrated because he doesn't even care about this stuff. But th- they just are motivated by different things. Also, 2 Corinthians 4 says their, their eyes are blinded by the enemy. They don't see the value in it. If you're in business and you don't see the value in something, are you going to invest any time in it? <laughs> no. We invest time and things are important to us. And so the enemy has blinded them for whatever reason to see no value in the gospel being presented to them. They hear it, but they don't respond. I think of Matthew twenty-two fourteen. it says many are called but few are chosen. Many hear, but few respond. They refuse to believe. And I think, you know, I I got a call uh, a couple of days ago from my mom and then one from my brother last night about my uncle. I've shared the gospel with my uncle many times. He's even been to a church where I preached and I shared the gospel every time. And I've been burdened about him because I know... He's in terrible health. And the last couple of pictures I've seen of him at our family reunions that I couldn't make, he just physically looked awful. And so it's just been burdening me because I love my uncle. He was one of those uncles, you know, you just got, there's always a family member that just takes to the kids. He was a guy that always played with us and would, uh, would wrestle with us. And he was that kind of guy. And I, I've always been fond of this uncle. And so I called my brother and I said, David, somebody needs to go physically sit down with him and share the gospel. And he goes, I know, I know, I know. And so my brother said he was going to do it, but he ended up getting my cousin to do it. I had two cousins that went by to do it. And my brother called me last night and goes, yeah, I need to go by too. But here's what he told my two cousins who went by to share the gospel who were both believers. I don't need any help. I don't need any help. And they begged him, begged him to listen to the the gospel. I don't need any help. And and I mean, thinking about the fact that he's very shortly away from meeting the maker, you would think, you would think that would be a motivating factor, but it it doesn't matter. They don't care. They, They don't need help. They don't want help. They reject and it breaks my heart. And I still pray and ask God. I asked God last night. I begged Him for mercy to just pull the veil back from His eyes like the thief on the cross. At that moment, just let Him see because it grieves me to think that He's not going to be with me in heaven. He didn't care. They hear, but they don't care. That's the hard heart that's talked about here. And Jesus is saying to the disciples and to the people, They're going to be people like this. They're going to hear this message. They're going to reject it outright. They're hard-hearted people. But there's another kind of uh, worldly here that's to me almost more dangerous. And that's the person who superficially hears. And he says, these are the people the seed goes in and boom, it blossoms. These are the people that get so fired up they want to tell everybody about Jesus right after they hear about Him. And God uses them to share the Gospel with people even though they themselves aren't even true believers. These are not people that lose their salvation 
Because you cannot be unadopted once you're His. That's ridiculous. Paul says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ once we're there. Nothing. These are people that have some kind of superficial response to the Gospel that has no supernatural element to it. In other words, the Spirit doesn't come in and give them new birth like He talked to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3. This is a person who simply goes, Wow! Jesus is awesome! I want some of that! That's what happens. But there's no drinking of the water like Jesus said. John 7.37 All who are thirsty, come to Me. But this person, according to the same passage, the same story over in Luke, in Luke 8, 6, says there's no moisture there. You know why there's no moisture? Because they're not drinking from Jesus. There's no water. No water at all. And when they are confronted with persecution, tribulation because of the Word, it says. In other words, and, and I think that's interesting that that's in there. Because when you start living for Jesus, you start being a person of the Word and talking about Jesus, then the persecution is going to come. And if you go, well, okay, I've had enough. You really got to wonder, like in 1 John 2, 19, it says, they went away from us because they were never really part of us. They're like the people in John chapter 6 when Jesus gave this really hard teaching and everybody's going, whoa, this dude is whack. He's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. This is hard. We don't like this. And they started leaving. And Jesus turns to His disciples, are you going to leave too? Peter says, Lord, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. You see, they, the disciples knew the source. And if you know that Jesus is the source, it doesn't matter when life gets tough. It doesn't matter when, when you're in prison like this guy over in Turkey who has been languishing, he's lost 50 pounds. Or John Monger, beaten every day. Or Dawa has his family say, get out of here, we don't want you anymore. Those things don't matter more than the refreshment and the moisture, the water of life you get from Jesus. That's what he's saying here. They're superficial. They're a, they're a flash in the pan. And I've seen them come and I've seen them go, guys. I've seen many, many of this type of here. They're all fired up one minute, and then the next minute they don't want anything to do with Jesus. I, you know, I am not following Jesus anymore because I've done it all for Him and He's done nothing for me. That's what He's talking about here. When persecution comes into your life because of the Word, and you go, I'm out of here. That's that kind of here. But there's also the divided and the preoccupied here. This is a guy... The thorns. <laughs> the thorns. Not the thorns of a crown placed on the head of our Master. This, the, the thorns of the world, the thorns of riches and the desire for money and the deceitfulness of riches He talks about. This is a person who gets the check in the box. They go, man, I need Jesus because I want to make sure I got that heavenly fire insurance paid off. So I'm just going to go ahead and pray this prayer. I'm going to walk this aisle. I'm going to go to church on Sundays. Yeah, I'll even write out some checks because I want to make sure that's covered. I get this box checked off. But what really drives this person is not a desire to know Christ. It's a desire to just have everything kind of taken care of and their loyalty is divided because Jesus is just lumped in with the world. 
And you see, he's an add-on to their life. He's not the point of their life. And there's a lot of people that have Jesus as an add-on. 1 John 2.15, we talked about that last week when we were talking about the, the two worlds we live in. Do not love the world or the things in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. You can't love those things with this unconditional love and be driven by those things and have God over here competing with it. You, it's like your feet are in two boats and they're both going in diametrically opposed directions. And I think back to uh, James 4.4 4 that says, you know, you can't be friends with the world. In other words, if you're friends with Jesus, the world's going to hate you. Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. And I see so many people, leaders even, within the church trying to be friends with the world. The, wor the world is headed to hell. <laughs> Plain and simple. You know who a good example of that is? Is Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. He left Paul. Paul says, he, he left me for the world. He departed me for He loved the world. I don't want to be a Demas in my life. I don't want to be a guy that, that Jesus is saying, come on, I want you to go follow me. I want you to be with me. And I do it to a point, but then I go, no, I ain't doing that, man. God, I'll do all this, but I ain't going to do this. And it's a very measured response to Jesus. It's not having Him as the point of your life. And we allow the, 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 the things of the world. And you know who is the greatest and most deceptive example of this? is Judas. Judas was so good that even the disciples could not spot him as the one who was betrayed Jesus. He was the master, and we know what he was driven by. You know why? Because John gives us an insight when he says he used to steal from the money. And then he gets paid 30 pieces of silver. He was driven by money. He did not embrace what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be taken care of. He didn't seek that. He didn't trust. He didn't look at the fields and see the flowers and the birds of the air and see how God provided and go, God, I know He'll provide for me. I know if He is not a military leader, that's okay with me because I trust Jesus. He didn't say that. And how often do we do that? You know? Man, if, if, if Jesus was so real, why is my marriage so bad? If Jesus is so real, why did my kids and me not get along? If Jesus is so real, why did none of this stuff work out the way I wanted? <clears throat> Same thing Judas was struggling with. And he betrayed him. He betrayed him. He was worried more about money in this world than he was worried about the kingdom. And I'm telling you guys, we live in a culture that puts such a pressure on us in this particular area. Why? Because our let's let's just be honest. Does our world in America revolve around money? Absolutely. I mean, can you if you had no money, it would be almost impossible to live in this country. Almost. Let's say tomorrow your some, you know, your bank accounts were wiped out. You had zero cash. And, and, and you didn't know where a dollar was going to come from, would you still be loyal to Jesus and still trust Him? That, that, that's a pretty haunting question to kind of contemplate. 
Because, I, you know, I, I watch Dawa and John Monger, and I see these guys. They go over. They don't ever talk about money to me. I've known them for 12 years. And they don't, when I go over there and they talk about a project, I ask you guys to support what they do. They don't. They, they don't ever talk about that stuff with me. I mean, and, and they're, they're two of the few guys that I've interacted with internationally. I've gone to other countries. Every time I go, man, they give me the missionary handshake. Hey, how you doing? Can I have some money? You're from America. You got money. I need money. That's what they do. But not these two men. They're, they've been different. And they've, God's really used them to help me see that, that, that there's a difference between people who follow God and people who are driven by the cares of the world. This divided, preoccupied here is it's choked out by the thorns. We don't want to be those men. If we're going to be warriors for truth in this culture for Jesus, then we have to show the world, and the only way we can do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, and we make decisions that show people, you know what? Money does not rule my life. It doesn't. Jesus rules my life. That's what he's trying to get across here. And then <clears throat> there's the last here. The supernatural here. And this was, you know, for the, for the people listening to this, you've got to remember as Jesus is teaching this, it's to the crowd. He really isn't even just addressing his disciples. He's really addressing the crowd with this, and he explains it to his disciples. But he, when he says to that crowd, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold, that is an unheard of return on a seed. Most of the time, seven times would be a huge return. So here's the haunting question for us guys in our life. How many people have we been able to share the gospel with and see come to Christ in our lifetime? Now, he's the one who brings about the fruit. But the opportunities are all around us. This is why it's so important and why the enemy does everything to keep us from sharing. Because we believe that the results are up to us and they're not. It's never up to us. But the responsibility to throw the seed out, that's our responsibility. And the disciples, when, when Jesus says, not seven, not even 30, not 60, but 100, that had to have shocked the people that were listening. See, we, we have a hard time grasping that. The best way we might describe it is buying a penny stock and having it go up to $100 a share and you bought 1,000 shares. You'd be like, wow, really? That's incredible. He says 160 and 30 for the good soil. The good soil. You know what this kind of listener is? This is an abiding listener. It's relationship. It's not an add-on to your life. It is the central part of your life to be in relationship and abiding with Jesus Christ. Matthew 7, 16 talks about fruit, the two trees and the fruit. We just saw in Matthew 12 about Jesus talks about the fruit. Guys, if you really want a picture of where you're at spiritually, look around and see what kind of fruit is in your life. And, and listen, 
don't, it, it's not this where it just goes whoosh. It is like this. Sometimes I see fruit, sometimes I don't see fruit. But sometimes I become, in, in a, I get in a rut. And I get in a rut because my eyes aren't on Jesus and I'm not abiding with Jesus. Instead, I'm allowing things of the world to distract me for whatever reason. And I get in this rut and I'm like sheep that are... You know a sheep? Over in the Middle East, there's this shepherd that was telling this story about a sheep. And, and literally 1,500 sheep got in a rut. And they followed the sheep, the, lead, the one in front of them, off a cliff. 1,500 because they got in a rut. And the shepherd wasn't there. They weren't following the shepherd. They were following this sheep. And they just went boom, boom, just going off the cliff. And that happens a lot. That happens a lot. We get in a rut... And, and we're just following sheep that we think are okay sheep, but really they're leading us to a bad place. That's why it's important to stay in the Word. That's important to stay in community with brothers around the Word and to be focused on God and prayer. You know, I'm, I'm real excited because I just got the T-shirts for the summer. I haven't gotten them yet, but I, oh, I'm putting in the order for them. But on the back, it says SWAT 5. And it's got our core values. God's Word, our authority and starting point. I want you to know this. I want this to be... Every guy that's a part of SWAT should know this. God's Word is our authority and starting point. Prayer. Staying close to our commander. Show me a guy who's in battle that doesn't know the heart of his commander and what his commander wants. I'll show you somebody that's going to get messed up in battle. You really get messed up when, you th when the troops are supposed to be doing this and you're over here doing this. Staying close to the commander. Evangelism. You know what? Mobilizing witnesses for impact. Are you being a witness? You know, we didn't do that today. Is there anybody who has a witness testimony? Somebody witnessed this last week? Incredible. Go ahead, Brig. From my first visit with you guys, I was really taken by that. Because I, you know, I just want to shout. I challenged, I just launched another business. Mm -hmm. I challenged them to put the word first. I said, I don't want to do any more business. No more without foundation. I challenged a bunch of very staunch businessmen that claimed to know the Lord. And I said, if it's true, then you're not ashamed. I challenged them to put John 4.14 on thing. And I sent them 10 companies that have done this. Interstate Batteries, uh, In-N-Out Burger, uh -huh. uh, uh, Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A. I sent them. And I sent them their... Uh, growth pattern and how they did it without being religious. Just, I said, these businesses are not Christian. These are businesses owned by Christians, but they did a very simple witness, but they stayed true to it in the midst of adversity, in the midst of persecution, whatever. And look what God has done. Put them in situations now we've got a Bible. So they prayed about it within 24 hours, agreed in this last week, millions of product now have John 414, every box, every whatever. These people have been absolutely challenged, and I'm realizing what a big deal it is. It's a huge deal. And it's going, Amazon is our partner. They're looking at this on every box 
every bottle, every pamphlet. And John 4.14, any man drink of this water, he'll never thirst again. I have watched these people, and again, we just launched Saturday, and he asked, well, how's it going? I said, well, it's quite a week. Because now I'm realizing what has come upon us, you know, the persecution, the, you know, it's not going to be easy. But I've been here before, but I know the result. This is going to go worldwide just because, and by the way, I'm telling you, it's because I was here. I heard you guys do the witness, the one-minute witness. I went back, and that encouraged me. And now there are tens of thousands. I went into the manufacturing facility, 650,000 square foot. Thousands of employees watching John 414, <laughs> every one of them asking, and now we're all discussing. Every phone call, every meeting starts with prayer, ends with prayer, and these guys are all of a sudden alert. So thank you. No, that's a God thing. And so here, here's what's cool about that. I don't know if you saw it. National news, creepy Chick-fil-A mission <laughs> statement to glorify God. The people in New York are having a heyday, man. They're having a heyday because they say it's a creepy mission statement. And and they to glorify God was printed in a bunch of different newspapers, carried on a bunch of different news channels. They were a lot of people were talking about this Manhattan Chick-fil-A. Now, Truett Cathy is a guy who his idea was to make a good chicken sandwich. Why is it that people can't go eat a chicken sandwich and enjoy a chicken sandwich? It's because, again, that it, it, it causes people to bristle to know that their mission is to glorify God. Yeah. There's this abiding part of being a supernatural listener, guys, that when you hear stuff from God, you respond to it. Listen to what John 15 says, and don't miss the abiding part. John 15, 5. I am the vine... You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. The responsibility of the branch is to abide in the vine. He produces the fruit. We don't. It's just our responsibility to stay attached to the tree. And as we do that, he will produce the fruit. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and here it is, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father's glorified, that you bear much fruit and you prove to be my disciples. The fourth core value of SWAT is Disciples, making disciples, discipleship. Christ's last command is our first priority. Guys, is it your first priority? If you died tomorrow and you stand before God and He goes, man, you know what? I brought these people into your life for you to be a witness and a disciple and you ignored them because you were too concerned with the things of the world. I've been guilty of that. I have to constantly stay on my knees and ask God to keep me focused on the fact that there are people all around me that God brings into my path. Am I sensitive to the fact that they're there for me to help in the discipleship process? For some, I may water. For some, I may throw seed down. But it's all a process. And discipleship is what we are about here. 
This is what God has called us to do. It's His last command. Go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, and I'm with you always. And let me back up and say what He said before He said all that. All authority has been given to me. In other words, if you're mine, you're under that authority. Are we obeying Him? Are we hearing His Word? Are we like the superficial listener? Are we like the preoccupied listener? Or do we just hear it and not care? Psalm 1, 1-3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water that produces fruit, guys, in its season. That's the supernatural here. Which here are you? As you leave today, I want to give you two questions to think about. And by the way, when you think about the, the worldly here, years ago there was a story about a preacher who <clears throat> preached a powerful message and afterwards a guy came up to him and he said, wow, pastor, if you had given an altar call, I would be there and I would believe. This was an unbeliever. <laughs> And you know what the pastor said? It's great. He goes, you know what? If you don't want Jesus five minutes after the message, you wouldn't have come to Him in the message. Amen. Guys, it's not about thinking, wow, this is something I should do. The question is, when I hear God speak to me in my heart, ask this question. When God holds up a mirror to my heart, what do I see? What do I see? And how do I respond? Second question, what's blocking God's Word from my heart? What is it that's blocking His Word from my heart? And how am I going to respond to that? Jeff, will you close our time in prayer?